Sharai, the podcast, co-hosted by the Governance Program at the Aga Khan University and the International Society for Islamic Legal Studies in cooperation with the University of Bern. Welcome to a new episode of Sharai, the podcast. My name is Gianluca Parolin. And my name is Serena Tolino. This episode, we're delighted to have as a guest Fatima Essop of the University of Cape Town. Welcome, Fatima. Thank you, Gianluca. Welcome, Fatima. So to know you a bit better, we would like to ask you, what do you do in your free time? What are your hobbies? So I love gardening. I have a garden here at home and especially during the hard lockdown in 2020, I really got quite serious about my garden, my vegetable patch. And I find it very therapeutic actually just working in the garden. And then of course in Cape Town, we're very spoiled for choice with hiking routes in the mountains. And so um, I enjoy hiking with a club and with my family and friends as well. Lovely. In your uh, dissertation, you worked a lot on the Muslim Judicial Council of uh, South Africa. Could you tell us a bit more about that and your ethnography there? So um, I've worked with the Muslim Judicial Council in two separate pieces of research. I did an ethnographical research on um, Islamic divorce in South Africa, and that was towards a, a book publication. Um, and then I've also, in my PhD, worked with the Muslim Judicial Council for my PhD research on Islamic inheritance. So in South Africa, you have various um, ulama bodies in the various provinces. And in the Western Cape, the main ulama body is the Muslim Judicial Council. There are others who also um, administer divorces, and that I cover in my ethnograph ethnographical study. And, um, but for my purposes, for the Islamic inheritance uh, research, I focused on the Muslim Judicial Council. And what they do is they provide numerous services, including providing a Sharia court, which hears um, Fasakh applications. They also do counseling leading up to counseling for couples. They also issue divorce certificates. And then, of course, they also assist the public with the drafting of Islamically compliant wills. And those are some of the services offered at the Muslim Judicial Council. For my ethnographical study, I actually did a set through quite a few FASA hearings to see what it was like, what the experience was like for women. And then for my PhD um, research, I interviewed officials at the MJC and I also went through over 400 wills that they store on record to get a sense of how they include Islamic inheritance laws into their world. So that's the kind of service provided that the MJC. Two of the other Muslim judicial bodies in the Western Cape also provide counseling services for married couples and divorce fasakh hearing applications, but not as extensively as the MJC. The MJC is essentially the most recognized body in the Western Cape, both by government bodies and by uh, the public generally as well. You also have a fascinating section on the uh, hearings and the ethnography of the hearings at the MJC. Um, would you like to share uh, some of that with our listeners? So the, the ethnographical study on the hearings, that's not what my paper is going to be about in May. That's obviously towards the chapter the, uh, of the book that's in publication this year. But that was basically sitting in on the hearings and just trying to establish what the process was to get a fasakh. And it was quite interesting, of course, to see the different experiences of women and in which cases the, the MJC is not state-funded, right? They are a non-government organization, and yet they're playing the body of a normal state court. Because, as you know, in South Africa, 
Muslim marriages are still not recognized as valid. So if you conclude a nikah only, then your marriage is not recognized as valid for all intents and purposes because we don't have legislation to that effect. Similarly, if you want a divorce, you can't go to the normal secular courts. You then have to go through the Muslim judicial body. Yesterday, I had a woman call me because she, she wanted to get out of the marriage. But if her husband doesn't want to give her the talaq, then she has to apply for the fasakh. And I indicated to her that you needed to go to one of the three Muslim judicial bodies in the Cape Town, but choose one of them and stick with them because they don't allow forum shopping. So if you're going with the MJC, then of course you will have to go with that body all the way. They will counsel you for two or three sessions first. They don't immediately send you to the FASA court. And once you've gone for counseling, they will then send you the Sharia court. And then they will then hear your matter and then they will issue a FASA or not. And in a lot of the hearings I attended, the men didn't attend. They just refused to attend. And then depending on the case before them and the evidence of the woman, the court will then decide whether to grant the fasakh or not. And in my experience, uh, what I found was women Jenny, um, they would more likely give a fasakh if she claimed that he was not nafakaying her, if he was not maintaining her. That was an easy way to obtain your fasakh. Other grounds was a bit more difficult, I found. So just claiming that there was emotional abuse, that wasn't necessary as easy to obtain a fasa. Also, what I found very, very interesting was if the husband was present at the hearing and he presented counter evidence to the wife or he, you know, he objected to whatever evidence she was presenting, then I found that they found it very difficult then to deal with it because they didn't necessarily have the skills to cross-examine the husband. And then inevitably what they do is they ask the couple to go back to counseling or they'd send them to arbitration. And this is understandable because these are imams who sit in these hearings. They're not trained judicial officers. And so they don't necessarily have the skills to elicit evidence from parties before them. So that I thought was very interesting. And that was my, that was the research on divorce. Of course, to, uh, for the conference, my, re my research was an Islamic inheritance. And that was also based at the MJC. So now that you mentioned that, we know this is not the first time you come to the conference of the International Society of Islamic Legal Studies. This is the second time, but last time you were just listening. And this time, for the first time, you're presenting a paper. So tell us something uh, more about the papers you are going to present in London. Yes. So my PhD was focused on the intersection between Islamic law of inheritance and the South African law of inheritance and how the two systems are to reconcile the two systems, the challenges that arise between the two systems, and the kind of policy and constitutional considerations that one will have to take into account when one considers some of the provisions in Islamic law. So that's what my focus was on. Part of my research was I undertook empirical research. I find that very often we base our conclusions on anecdotal evidence, and that's good, especially if I can do this as a practitioner. But I think that there's a need for more empirical research within Islamic law to understand the lived reality of how the law is actually applied within the communities. And before these bodies issue fatwas to actually understand what's the lived reality. And, and I think that's missing. And so I took the empirical research firstly to understand how is Islamic law implemented in the Muslim community within South Africa? What are the challenges, etc.? And so that is what my, my research was about. I then went to the NJC. I interviewed officials at the NJC. 
I um, perused about 480 wills to see what the, the trend was. I also interviewed attorneys in the Western Cape community who dealt with Islamic wills and estate. And I interviewed one of the officials at what you call the master's office. Uh, the master of the high court is responsible for administering estate. To just get a sense of what the, the practices were, what the issues and the challenges were. So that is what my research was about. With respect to the paper at the conference, I found that obviously there were the, the Muslim judicial bodies, um, not they assist the public with drafting of um, Sharia compliant wills. But over and above that, though, what happens is within the Muslim community, the practice is the testator will say, I want my estate to be distributed according to the Islamic law of inheritance. And on my death, the, my Islamic law is, must be determined by, for instance, the Muslim Judicial Council who will draw up a certificate indicating who my heirs are. So when the tes, uh, Muslim testator then dies, the, the attorney will ask the Muslim Judicial Council, this is who is the, the, the testator survived by these relatives. Can you tell us who inherits what? What are their shares? And the Muslim Judicial Council then draws up a distribution certificate, which goes to the master's office. And that's how the, the estate gets allocated. Now, of course, you can imagine that leaves quite a bit of power in the hands of the Muslim Judicial Council, who then determines who the heirs are and what their respective shares should be. And so that was something I found interesting in my research was what was the approaches that they took when they determined. And although they claim to be bound, by, they're not bound, they say they, they adhere to the Shafi Madhab in most cases. They also say that they are open to other Madhabs and even beyond um, the four Madhabs if the situation requires it. And so they have a certain level of discretion when determining the, the heirs of the testator, whether it be in topics that I found quite interesting was the determination of, for instance, which child was conceived uh, potentially out of wedlock, how do they determine the gestational periods, etc. Also issues around whether the wife can in, um, inherit the surplus, the rad, and whether um, heirs can be entitled to bequests, which they generally don't encourage. And a lot of the concern that I, I found in across the board was a lot of male testators would be concerned about the limited share their wives, surviving wives would receive. And then they'll try to address it in various ways that were Sharia compliant and sometimes not. So those were all issues that I uncovered in my empirical research. And those are the kind of issues I'll be speaking to at the conference in May. So in this very interesting intersection between state law and Islamic law in the South African context, there are certain things that have been looked at in other contexts where, the, where state legislation plays a more prominent role, like the question of uh, the inheritance of orphaned uh, grandchildren. In your experience, how is the Muslim Judicial Council looking into these um, issues? So that's, that's a very interesting question because that's actually one of the issues that I had to address because in South African law, if a testator, if one of the children of the testator predeceases the testator, then the, the descendants of that predeceased child will inherit their parents' share per stirpes through representation. But as you well know, in Islamic law, that's not the case. If the testator is survived by three sons, for instance, and one of the sons predeceases the testator, the children of that son is not entitled to inherit. 
and he's or he shewel in a crew to the two siblings so of course that is contrary to what the south african wills act says which says the grandchild should inherit the predecessor parents share as stirpes and so the question is how do you determine which law should apply the south african law or the, the islamic law and in our law we have obviously there's the rule that there's freedom of gestation is very important in south african succession law and of course determining the intention of the testator is the golden rule when interpreting wills what was the intention of the testator so i've argued that if the testator intended for islamic law to apply then actually it should accrual should happen then that's what should actually happen is that it should accrue to the siblings but obviously that leaves the grandchildren at a disadvantage and of course i know that in certain countries like in egypt and in pakistan is quite uh, the reform has been quite radical they make provision for one third of the estate to to go to those grandchildren but that hasn't been the case in south africa in south africa the bequest is normally bequests are normally given to adopted children maybe or if the parents know a child is born out of wedlock they'll make a bequest for that child or in most cases they leave the bequest to charitable institutions to the mosque the masjid masjid community or to a charitable institution if they leave the the one third bequest so so and these, yeah and these latter bequests are drawn up by the mjc the one that you just mentioned so, or yeah. are they outside so what i found was that people who couldn't afford attorneys who couldn't afford the the services of a solicitor they would go to the njc because the njc charges a nominal amount for a will right and then it's a so it's like a precedent they use one a pro forma will which is which has its challenges because obviously you're not catering to the individual testator and so they the testator will then instruct or ever assisting them i want to leave a bequest to a b and c and the residue of my estate should go according to the islamic law of inheritance if they go to attorneys very interestingly um some attorneys uh, indicated that the wealthier the testator the less likely they were going to include islamic inheritance law in their wills but if they did include islamic inheritance law then they would indicate the bequest must go to a b or c and so it's a de- it depends on who you're dealing with whether you're dealing with a muslim jud and of course it's not as sophisticated if you're going through the muslim judicial council because you're not having attorneys those are imams who have been trained as imams they work with a um a precedent and they try their best to kind of assist the testator to, to accommodate their their personal request so differs of course thank you a lot fatima this is uh, really exciting and i'm also excited to hear more about that um, in london and i'm sure also uh, other members of the society are excited about that so see you in may in london Thank you very very much both of you. Take care. Looking forward. Thank you Fatma. Well Thank done. you. Bye bye.